What's up, guys? Welcome back. Yeah. I just opened up a can of Coors Pure. I. It's not bad. I'll be it's honest. Not. Well, you know, we'll start with a review of this new organic beer uh, from Coors um, that was named after a Michigan license plate. Just pure Coors. Um, not bad. All the hops are organic. Heard they recently changed hey, the hops. Hey. No free ads in this business, all right? Okay. Well, I mean, if Coors Pure wants to sponsor us, not Coors Light, Coors Pure. Hail right, brother. Hail right. I'm, Hail we're right. Back. We're back. Yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm going to say something, okay? Not we're back. Like, you're back because you had to miss last week because your tooth hurt. And I, I want everyone to be very, like, to be on the same page with this. I got shot one time in 2016, and I still went to my comedy show that night. Got booed off the stage, but that's neither here nor there. You couldn't do a podcast because you had a toothache. Chris, you ever had tooth pain? It's uh, it actually wasn't it wasn't an actual tooth. Come to find out, when I went to the dentist, it was the area around a tooth after I got surgery on my mouth. Okay, it hurt a lot. I couldn't speak. You can go f yourself. All right. This is uncensored, man. You can say you can say whatever you feel. Yeah, go fuck yourself. <laughs> okay, that was a lot. I didn't... <laughs> um, no, we're, we're glad you're back. Uh, I felt so empty last week, you know, not having a podcast, and also because we were going to record on Sunday. I stayed up Saturday night putting in all these notes about March Madness and like what Oregon State's defense was holding opponents to from three, and and now it's all <laughs> worthless. Um, but yeah, we got a lot of stuff to get to. We got a pretty loaded show, to be honest. We're actually going to talk football, which is exciting. Um, <laughs> it's Easter, which is something. Happy um, Easter, buddy. So you have a daughter, like, is the Easter bunny a thing? Like the the concept, we didn't introduce the actual like character of the Easter bunny. Don't that that seems terrifying? Yeah, it is terrifying. There's never been like an Easter bunny. It's like, I bet. I bet that's a nice rabbit. No, I love the I love the pictures from like, you know, nineteen seventy five. You know, kids taking pictures with the Easter Bunny, and it's like the most terrifying thing you've ever right. seen. <laughs> like they did nothing to cartoonize it. It was supposed no. to be like a real bunny and jagged just, teeth, just yeah. like like it looks like something out of like a Stephen King novel. Like it is, <laughs> it was so much. Um, but yeah, happy happy Easter. Um, this is like my mom's Super Bowl. She gets like lit. Uh, Pastor Patty Sue was, she was just feeling herself today. She, I mean, she had herself a day. Are she, you, are she, you the one that drops those fire graphics for her on Twitter? I showed her how to do it. She okay. does it all on, like all on her own now. Like That's when awesome. I went home a couple, like a month ago, I was like <laughs> going to sleep in like my room and they turned the guest, like my sister's room into a guest room and she had a ring light. She had like a whole fucking studio. I was like, what, what is going on? <laughs> like your content that you have to get out to the, to the, like Lutheran Lutheran following in Lexington, South Carolina. Anyway, it is Easter. Um, hopefully you guys had a good Easter and hopefully they were not filled with peeps because those are fucking terrible uh, and or any pictures with the Easter Bunny because that is also, like we said, terrifying. Um, we're not going to talk about March Madness, but did you watch the Gonzaga UCLA game last night? That was... So for those in the Facebook group may have seen, I played 41 holes of golf the day before. What? So we played. That's not even a 41. Oh, yeah, you went so, out to Sweetums. Well, I was supposed to, and that got rained out because apparently it's sitting in a floodplain. So it was like three feet underwater. So we had to pivot 
uh, played at Chestity up in it's like Dahlonega area. I have one of those belts. Saw saw Chase Elliott for you NASCAR fans out there. He's from Dawsonville. He was in the clubhouse when we we finished our rounds. Um, But uh, yeah, played two 18s and then went to go out for nine more holes. And uh, both of our cards just died simultaneously. On that's probably God telling you to not play forty one fucking holes of golf. So came home, you know, had to act around my family like I wasn't super hungover and full of energy. And uh, and then um, proceeded to watch the beginning of the, the Gonzaga game. And it was incredible. Fell asleep, woke up and it was overtime. And so I got to see the end. But I, I kind of missed the, the the charge and all that kind of stuff. Saw your angry tweet about it. Amazing. I, I was game. pissed about the charge. Also, that was a really long winded story just to say that you didn't watch the game. Watch um, most of it. Sick flex that you know you went to go play golf. I played golf yesterday. I honestly thought about bringing this up, but I don't know how to like turn this into a brag that I shot ninety four because that that was like a big deal for me. I think that's pretty good. To be honest, I haven't played in like a year. Um, What'd you anyway, play? but but the game last night, incredible. Probably like one of the best basketball games I've ever watched. Um, out of like the seven that I've watched uh, that are non Bama related, <laughs> but I mean like. I felt bad for UCLA. I felt really bad for UCLA because like they overcame so much to get there and they were a 14 and a half point underdog. They end up going to overtime like Johnny Juzang or whatever, like whatever his name is. He killed Bama. They were awesome the whole night. And I tell you what, they were so perfect to, to take that big lead in the first half, but then also blow it. So I could cover the first half spread. That was really nice. Um, but yeah, an incredible, incredible game, man. Yeah, I mean, it's it felt like both teams shot like ninety percent from the field in the first half. It's when well, this, yeah, <laughs> like the first like four minutes, yeah, it was like sixteen to like twelve, and I was like, what is what is happening right now? You're watching. If you're UCLA, you're like, we can't be playing this game at least offensively more perfectly, and yet we're still like in a neck and neck battle here. Right. So, great game. I I feel like the Gonzaga Baylor game because Baylor is like they're peaking at the right time. They look amazing. They've had a really good two games. Like yeah. in a row, like yeah. I mean, they they've been great all season, obviously, but like right. like forty five to twenty in the first. Our boy Mike Calabrese. Calabrese. Um, I was like, "What's the pick today?" And he was like, "Listen, we're gonna ride it just like last week. It worked last week. Take Houston first half, Baylor to win it like outright." And so I was like, "Okay, all right." So it's plus five fifty. Um, and I did not get my money back on that one because they were down 25 points in the first half of basketball and they had one player score, like all their points. Anyway, none of this is important. All the sec teams lost. It was very disappointing. Uh, that Arkansas Baylor game was tough. Uh, I'm not going to get started on the Bama UCLA game. That was awful. Um, but yeah, so just seamless transition. We're going to try something new. Tyler is going to, is going to host. Yeah. So. It's now like the second podcast, so I, I, I'm just getting run over, so it's fine. Oh, wait, I don't know what to do. I'm frozen. I'm sorry. No. All right, so I want to actually get back to our roots here, Chris, because I feel like it's been basketball. Yeah. Basketball Uncensored, you know, which is not us. No. Yeah. We already made the stickers. Granted, spring practice, I feel like these coaches, I mean, it's just like you know obviously uh, they can use COVID as an excuse they probably think it's a great excuse to use to not have media in to, to look at practice so right. there's like no reports it's the same canned answers every time well you know they're learning i mean they, you yeah. know we've got a lot of young guys out there we got a lot of early enrollees and you know this is a new system new system I mean, so they're learning you know they're getting better every day 
You got to get 1% better every day. Each rep's a new rep. Got to win the rep one-on-ones. I hate anyway. that you still quote Willie Taggart. <laughs> wait, wait, what, where did I quote him? I thought that was Willie Taggart. I just, <laughs> no, I mean, because no. it was it was dumb as shit. So yeah. it, I assumed it had to be that. Also, yeah, yeah, like, well, and what's weird too is, like, I threw this out there to, like, the pod mods. Um, shout out them because I trust them with my life. And I was like, hey, what would be more interesting for, like, the podcast? Like, recapping all the pro days from around the SEC because there were some incredible performances, and I think all of them are done now. Or spring camp and like every single one of them was like oh spring camp absolutely I mean, like is that even a question and i was like yeah it was a fucking question spring yeah. camp like they're like yeah why aren't you guys like down there covering it live and i was like because it's fucking spring camp <laughs> so so to me it's not necessarily the there's a couple individual stories we'll get into but it's more just the storylines that are in spring that kind of lead us into fall we'll start right. with the reigning national champs we won't want we don't want to spend too much time on them because we're not a Bama podcast, as you like to say. That's right. But Bama is replacing an absolute monstrosity of an offense. I mean, it's so much. It's so much, you know, and it's not just Devontae Smith. It's not just Najee. It's Waddle. It's Mac Jones. It's Leatherwood. It's the offensive coordinator. Steve it's, Land- it's Landon Dickerson. Landon Dickerson. So. Bryce Young, I don't know if you've seen any reports, but he's the guy that's going to be taking over. I'm assuming it's not going to be Bear Bryant's grandson or whatever. That, the that for guy. like seven hours, like three weeks ago, <laughs> Bama, like Facebook, which is just like Oof. everyone in Coleman who just got dial-up internet, it was like wants to voice their opinions and throw out the grainiest, shittiest memes possible. And they were like, I tell you what, I mean, that's that's my pick right there. He gets the offense. I mean, he's been there longer. Plus like, bloodlines. Right. right. Uh, Bryce Young is going to be the quarterback. Um, spoiler alert, he threw four touchdowns in the scrimmage. So I don't know what the fuck is wrong with the secondary. Yep. But Time Bryce Young, concern. Heisman. <laughs> um, Bill O'Brien, you know, that's an interesting fit. Um, you know, I can't remember the last time he was in college and not a head coach. I don't know how – that's that's an interesting fit. Saban always gets to he, work, though. Yeah, I, I really just want to – pretend that he's not our offensive coordinator. Also, there was a story this weekend. And again, there's no storylines, right? So this yeah. is like one of the few things that, that like comes up. And I was like, oh, cool, something new. Um, you know, like what's going on at camp? Bill O'Brien talks to Slade Bolden and, and tells him how he can be just like Julian Edelman and Wes Welker. How, how, what does he mean by that? So if you couldn't have guessed by his name, Slade, uh, Slade Bolden is 5'10", he's white, and probably weighs 175 pounds. So, um, you, and I feel like, you know what? Because I get so tired of that cliche. We should start doing that with coaches. Like, if I'm, like, interviewing Bill O'Brien, I'm like, hey, you're fat. Like, you you look like, you're, you're like a Charlie Weiss, right? Like, you're like a Mark Mangino. And just, like, really making them feel shitty about themselves. <laughs> so, I don't know if you saw my tweet. Probably not, because it was during the middle of the national championship game. Slade Bolden scored a touchdown in the championship game, right? Yeah. So I tweeted out, I thought it was personally hysterical, but it's really true. In, in 20 years, that guy, there's no doubt in my mind he's going to own a Chevy dealership, Slade Bolden Chevrolet. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. In Tuscaloosa, he's going to always have, you remember when I scored that touchdown against Ohio State in the 2020 National Championship? Glory. He's, he's, he seems like the kind of guy that's like about always twirling Chandler. his keys around too, right. walking around the, the lot, trying to move some, some uh, Silverados. Tanner, let me get you in on this Tahoe here. <laughs> Anyways. Um, uh, yeah, that's about all that's going on with Bama. They have 
I, I maintain they're going to take a step back. They have a lot to replace. Um, going else like elsewhere on the SEC because I went through it and, and tried to make a list. Quarterback, not controversy, but still a battle um, going on in Arkansas. Uh, I think a lot of people thought it was going to be KJ Jefferson, and it's not. Um, Sam Pittman was pretty disappointed, I think, with their scrimmage this weekend. A uh, lot of lot of penalties. I think like one of the penalties he said, like he was just like rattling them off, and there was a penalty that should not have been on offense. So I really wonder how like what they could have done to fuck this up because it was like, I, I mean like illegal touching or like kick. It was something really bizarre, but they just had themselves a day and there were flags everywhere. Apparently. Well, you know, look, they were one of the most improved teams in the SEC last year. So it'd be interesting if they could take the next step. Um, I, I've, I'm a big fan of Kendall Brown's offense. Um, it's prone to a lot of penalties cause you're moving so fast. Uh, a lot of false starts, that kind of stuff, but a lot of points as well. So, um, uh, one thing I'm looking at are the four new coaches in the SEC. Yeah. Um, you got Harson, not Auburn, Beamer, Heupel, and Clark Lee. I, I don't know about you. I'm particularly interested in, in Harson because I didn't think that was exactly a natural fit, you know, coming from Boise state. Never. I don't, I don't, this is off the top of my head. So I, you know, fact check me here. I don't think he's coached in the South before. I mean, no, like Idaho is, is very far away. From what I know, he may have been at Arkansas State, maybe. I well, maybe if, if he coached at Auburn, he almost like it's like a prerequisite that you have to fucking coach <laughs> yeah, at Arkansas yeah. State. But um, you know, they lose Seth Williams, they lose Anthony Schwartz, all the receivers. Not, not great for Bo Nix, who really hasn't shown that he's that good, anyways. And you know, you you got Tank Tank Bigsby, who's obviously a beast. You bring in Mike Bobo. I just think that's an interesting fit. That's kind of the coach that I'm looking at this year to see. Yeah you know, hey, can he repeat some of the success he had in Boise? Because to be honest with you, I can't name another team in Boise's conference. I don't even know what conference Boise's in. Like Swack? The is Swack, a, is the a, swack is, a, is HBCUs. <laughs> it's like, like grambling. Um, <laughs> no, I think it, it's either the Mountain West or the – I don't think the WAC Mountain is the, West. the conference anymore, but I think yeah. it's the Mountain West. Um, Mountain West sounds right. Yeah. But I mean, like, like Utah State's also, I haven't seen a lot of – yeah, I think – all the other Utah schools besides the good one are, are in that one. Um, I haven't seen a lot of like news. And, and to be honest, like, I don't even know if they've, they've started camp, they finished camp, whatever. Um, because everything I see out of it is kind of just like, what's the best way to put it? Like rah, rah, trying to do like, trying to go, like trying to do too much to get the, like the, the fans on the side. Like, like it was a story the other day. I think it was actually on, on Saturday on South. And they were like, Harson wants to explain to his team how why it's important that they win at home and, and protect Jordan Hare Stadium. It's like, no shit. Yeah. That's like tough. I just have a hard time buying into this guy who's like, he won't refer to Bama by name. And he's mm. doing like all the just like the cliche, like Classic. new coach shit that's like trying to get like the fans on the side, which is great. Like just I mean, they it's a new coach. They should be on the side anyway. But I think that'll be interesting. I'm I'm really excited to see what Hypel's gonna do. And I've decided I'm gonna start calling him um ted fatso instead of ted lasso because he has so much positive energy every time somebody interviews him about like what player is starting to understand like all the new concepts and he he just gets like giddy so we're gonna coin that ted fatso and because he's kind of fat not kind of he's fat <laughs> um but yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to that and i tell you what like it's not a new coach 
But you talked about, you know, Arkansas, can they take the next step? Kentucky is obviously further ahead as a program than where Arkansas is right now. But I, every year, like over the past two or three years, I, I keep wondering if they're going to take the next step and have like a back-to-back 10-win season. Like they, you know, they had the one obviously in 2019. Um, I think it was 2019, it might have been 2018. Um, or if they're going to be able to like actually, you know, compete to, to win um, and at least finish above like third or fourth in the division. And them bringing in a new OC and hearing Mark Stoops talk about it. And I love Mark Stoops, but his quote on it was, we're getting the ball downfield better than we have in years. So passing has been a thing that's going on in college football. We like, we got it. I'm glad they're on board, Um, (laughs) but they've had a really good off season. They've had like several great commits. They have a lot of talent coming back. So I'm excited to see how they're going to look. They got my boy Wendell. That's true. Um, yeah, well, this is the year to do it. You know, you got a couple new head coaches in there. You've got Florida, which is another storyline. You know, they're outside of Bama. They're probably replacing the most on offense yeah. this year. Um, they aren't having a spring game. Spring practice has been kind of up in the air due to COVID. So um, not really a ton of news coming out of there, except that their offense was horrible. Maybe one sprint, one scrimmage. <laughs> Just one. Yeah, one scrimmage like a month <laughs> so, ago. So um, um, I think the biggest news you want, you want do we should, should we talk about it i i don't know it's i know this is going to go over poorly it's what well, we got to talk about it we're going to talk about listen georgia fans strap in we're going to talk about the picking situation i know we're a week late because tyler had a toothache but <laughs> obviously the uh, tough tough stretch here tough two-week stretch here for georgia fans um but uncle chris is going to tell you why there's no need to be concerned and that's after I tell you all the reasons why you should be concerned mm-hmm. and give you backhanded compliments. Yeah, I don't know if I would say not concerned should be where Georgia fans should sit. So, so first of all, I want to get off before we actually talk about the football side of it. Feel awful for George Pickens. I mean, this was his yeah. year. Seemed to find a really good connection with JT Daniels when towards the end of last year when Daniels took over. Athletically, he's about as gifted as you can come as a receiver. Um, yeah. So I know he struggled a little bit, you know, just covering maturity on the field. So hopefully he continues to gain maturity, takes this year to rehab. I would imagine, probably won't see him at Georgia. I mean, I would imagine he'd head to the draft after this. I, I mean, if he doesn't play, I, I, I think that he'll, he'll make it back. And Kirby was pretty open about that too and candid saying like, there's, I mean, especially nowadays, like it, it's not crazy for him. Like Landon Dickerson took the last snap like three weeks after he, uh, towards ACL. I mean, and obviously Landon Dickerson's not going up making like these like freak catches on the sideline and like, you know, mossing people like nonstop, but yeah, you, yeah. you do hate it for Pickens and, and everything that like we've wanted to see from George Pickens, like you said, like the, like the, not the mental side of it, but like the maturity side of it and him kind of taking that next step and, and being an adult um, and, and being somebody you could like rely on as a teammate, <laughs> not spraying uh, <laughs> people with like water bottles. Um, I, yeah. So, but like, from everything we heard, that was going great uh, during camp. So pretty, pretty awful news to hear that he might be out for the entire season. Um, looking at his numbers, he led the team in receptions. He was second in yards, um, and he also led in, in total touchdowns. So he had 36 receptions for 513 yards, which seems kind of low, right? And and then six touchdowns. But when you look at like their totals as a team last year, they only had 19 total passing touchdowns all year. And he accounted for almost thirty a third of them, right? Yeah, he led. I'm pretty sure he led them in 2019 as well as a freshman in touchdowns. Possibly. Spot. Yeah. Um, 
but like looking at like just what he accounted for in that offense. And obviously you have talent everywhere, right? Just everywhere um, for Georgia on offense. And so I think they'll be fine. But when you start talking about the yards that made up like a fifth of their total yards last year with 500, the touchdowns, like you said, that's a, that's a third. And the receptions, that's like a 20% again of their overall receptions. And then when you look at what they were able to do with JT Daniels, like JT Daniels was very open when he became the starter about getting George Pickens the ball, throw like feeding, feeding that beast. Because I think he said like the quote was like, if you have a five-star receiver, that why would you not throw to him? And that, I think it was a little shade at Stetson Bennett, but like <laughs> when, when JT Daniels took over, he hit like, he had he finished the season with 80 completions on 119 attempts, 1,231 yards, 10 touchdowns. Pickens had four of those touchdowns, so 40%. He accounted for 30% of his total yards passing and 29% of his uh, his total completions. That's a lot to that's a lot to replace. Well, JT Daniels only attempted one pass in five games without Pickens in the game on the field last year. One pass. Really? Um and, and look, I I pivot to they bring back 75% of their catches from last year, 74% yeah. of the receiving yards. But I feel like Kyrus Jackson, uh, you know what you have in him and uh, Jermaine Burton, but I don't really know. <clears throat> I don't think that those guys are number one receivers. They're great number twos. Um, okay. Like, you know, they don't have a lot of size. So you pivot to some of the guys, the other guys, and here's where I have concern. It's, it's a lot of ifs for Georgia. Darnell Washington, obviously – you know, you look at the guy, six seven, extremely gifted athletically. He only had seven catches last year. So I get that he was a freshman, but you gotta hope that he takes that next step and can maybe be become a reliable I know he's a tight end, but a receiver for them. Well, I mean also like I mean, I, I hate to throw the blame over here to Kirby, but I'm gonna do it because I do it all the time. We don't know if that was because of anything of his doing or if that was just the offense not getting their playmakers the ball. Sure. Because like a lot of times we watched that offense and it was like, what are y'all doing? Like that Kentucky game last year, it's like 14 to seven. It was like watching fucking paint dry and it was miserable. But yep. you were able to see them, you know, like kind of like shift like their offense around. Like if, you know, like JT Daniels had a terrible game against South Carolina. It was like 10 of 16 for like 100 something yards. They were able to run for like, I think like 300 yards or something crazy like that game. So they're talented enough. They have enough like physical talent and, and like an overwhelming amount of like the offensive line. You have five stars everywhere. The backfield absolutely loaded. Your top three backs were either five stars or all ranked inside the top 50 on, on 24 sevens composite talent everywhere. So just because Pickens is down, I don't think it's a time to like completely panic. I hate that Burton is not going to step up in the, in the spring camp and like in the off season, cause he is injured as well. But Arian Smith, and if if he only had two catches last year, well, they were good catches. <laughs> I, I think that kid, he's also coming off an injury. I think that kid's gonna be a stud because he's so. Fast. I do too. And, and and George Pickens ran twice as many go routes as anybody else on the team. No. He's he was the deep threat. You would think that Arian could possibly move in there, but he has he's only two catches. You got Dominic Blaylock, who was a five star, coming off his second ACL tear. Yeah, that is Marcus Rosemay coming off a major ankle injury. Uh, Robertson, I mean, I thought that kid was an absolute stud his freshman year at Cal. He's done absolutely nothing at Georgia. So I'm a little concerned um, because you're, there's a lot of hope. Like, you got to hope these guys, there's a lot of talent. You got to hope they take the next step. Um, but the the good news, if you're a Georgia fan, if there was ever a time to have an injury like this, it's spring ball because you got yeah. time to figure out how to replace the production from George Pickens 
And maybe Arians missed the guy. You know, only two catches. He had the one in the bowl game. I think he had one against South Carolina for a touchdown. Mm -hmm. But maybe he's the guy. You know, he's got absolutely blazing speed. I mean, one of the fastest guys in the country. So I mean, and I'll say like I'll say this: the thing with Pickens, again, we don't know if he's not going to come back. But that offense, you got to think about how handcuffed that offense was, and the and the shit they went through. That really, I feel like only Georgia fans like recognized because everyone else on the outside was just like oh the offense sucks that's embedded sucks like whatever because you know they're fans and they don't want to like delve into like what's really happening but you talk about getting a new oc right a new offensive line coach then you're dealing with covid you bring in jamie newman who's like this weird flash in the pan that wasn't a flash in the pan but like right. just like wore the jersey and practice for a couple weeks and then and then took a couple like like videos shirtless like throwing the ball and then was like by the way he's gonna be a, a first round pick what yeah. <laughs> and then he he bolts um then you end up getting you know jt daniels but he can't play right away the offense was great towards the end of the year i think having todd munkin like in like his ability to schedule actually, was easy at the end of the year though dude, not remember i'm that. glad you brought it up because yeah. their their average passing defense that they faced this is without cincinnati because cincinnati was like top 10 and everything was ranked 95th so all their sec opponents um, had an average ranking of 95th passing defense, but re- regardless of all that, having an OC that's able to like actually physically communicate with like the team, not have to do it through zoom calls. Every time we do yeah. a fucking zoom call in here, we record this podcast. I mess something up. I imagine that Todd Munkin does the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, you know, he gets a full spring to instill. And that's probably why the offense, you know, maybe mixed with Stetson Ben a little bit looked so poor at the beginning of the season. Yeah. You know, um, but, you know, even, you know, you, you take, even when Stetson was in there, you know, the one game that Pickens wasn't there, I think was the Florida game and the, and they got destroyed. Right. Um, so you can see last team I want to talk about before we move on LSU because last year, obviously coming off the championship, we knew they'd take a step back. They lost too much, but good Lord, what <laughs> happened to them last year? Um, so, I mean, you know, Miles Brennan comes back off the injury. Stingley's back. Bo Pelini's gone, thankfully, for Tiger fans. God. But where do they go from here? Where, what's what's Orgeron's next step? Because it's crazy, but, like, he won a championship two years ago, and I could see him being on the hot seat if ne- if this coming up year is a bad year for him. Well, especially with all the off, off-field issues that are currently going on. Right. Um, with Darius Geis and all the shit that was happening, like, in the program before that. And we don't know how that's going to unfold, but you say, like, where do they go from here? I I just have to assume it's up. I, I still think Coach O is a good coach. And I'll base off of 2019 because, again, he's the one that went out and got those. Like He's the one that went out and got Joe Brady. He's the one that went out and got Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he had a couple of four-star quarterbacks on his roster, but he was like, no, we got to go get this guy. Um, and was it a little bit of lightning in a bottle? Absolutely. But, like, he was able to bring in those guys. And, and listen, his record, it, like, throw out the, the numbers from Ole Miss – where he was like 10 and 25 overall, his numbers are incredible before, before this season. Um, but, you know, we talk about pass defense. They finished dead last in the entire country in pass defense. Um, and he did say this week, too, that he was, uh, was going to be way more hands-on with the defensive line, which is – I assume that just means, like, he's going to challenge him to, like, a bare-knuckle fist fight or steal their uniform and just go in and play himself. That would be awesome. Yeah. So, anyways, it's it should be an interesting spring. I say that in quotes, quotes because it's not really that interesting. Nothing's happening, um, but uh, but I, I'm super excited to see where some of these teams go in the fall. So, yeah. Um, 
Why don't we talk about why don't let's talk about some of the guys that are leaving the SEC going to the pros because we've you know over the last two weeks. You, you have one more thing to say? We have. I was gonna go over my my guys on the clock. It was a whole segment. I that's right. I was gonna do like a tick tick like thing, and now I can't. <laughs> Damn it, Tyler. Um, hey guys, it's Chris. Welcome into a new segment called uh, "What's What's on Who's on the Clock." Um, no, so I, I just I was thinking about this last night, and, it, and honestly, it was because of Demetrius Robinson um, or Robertson. Just guys that I don't. I'm not saying that like it's like put up or shut up or now or never or anything like that. But guys that I would like to see take a next step and and have a great season and like and like live up to like the potential that we you know thought they've had and, and like for the past couple of years. So um, just going through this, I wrote down Bo Nix just because. Um, Demetrius How Robinson. Not? He, he's probably, about, he's probably the number one though, Bo Nix. Yeah, but I don't want to see him improve. I'll just be honest. <laughs> That's true. Um, okay. Demetrius Robertson, his you brought up his freshman year at Cal. He had 50 catches for 767 yards and seven touchdowns. His next three years combined, and I understand he's been injured and all that kind of stuff. 49 catches, 513 yards, and three touchdowns. So we need more of the cow, Demetrius. Um, yep. and a lot less of what we've seen in the past couple years in Athens. Uh, outside of that, Trey Knox from Arkansas. I've been so high on this kid since he was a freshman, and I thought he was going to be like the breakout star um, at receiver because he's 6'5", I think he's like 220 or no, 6'5", 207. Huge, huge target on the outside. Um, he only caught seven passes last year. Like with the way they ran that offense and and like how talented he's a four-star kid coming out of high school, really hope that kid steps up because he finished eighth uh, in, in total receptions on that team. Like it, that just can't happen. Eight out of 10 people can't happen. Um, other than that, John Emery from LSU, he was held under three yards per carry in three of his last four games. That is not good. Mm. That is the opposite of good. Um, yes. And then last but not least, Zach Pickens and Jordan Birch over mm-hmm. at, uh, at South Carolina, both of them on that defensive line, like they had modest numbers last year. I think both of them had two and a half tackles for loss. Uh, um, Pickens had, I think he was like actually third or fourth on the team in, in tackles. But if if both of those guys can be a force and like at the same time it, and just wreak havoc in the backfield, that would be a tremendous help to a new coach. How about Emory Jones? I mean, I guess maybe, you know, you're on the clock isn't necessarily since he hasn't started yet, but I, I have a feeling that he's going to have a short lease if, he, if he's not the passer that they need him to be because – I think his name's Anthony Richardson behind him. It, it may be the better pass between the two. And a Dan Mullen offense, I feel like, yeah, you got to have the the uh, mobility, but it's all with trash. It's not necessarily, you know, the number one thing you need to have. So yeah. Emory Jones, I feel like, is is really the key to success for Florida this year. If he didn't start off well, you could see him, that you could see Mullen ride with Anthony Richardson. And then maybe outside the SEC, um, how about someone from the West Coast? One of these QBs step up to have someone on the West Coast be in the college football playoff, whether it's Keaton Slovis or an Oregon quarterback, Tyler Shuck. Or Oregon State. Or Oregon State. Don't Son think they're going to be in the mix this year. Um, you know, somebody somebody from the West Coast. Anybody. The whole coast is on the clock. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, yeah. When's the last time that they were in the college football? Where they Have they ever been? I guess Oregon. In the playoff? Or, yeah, Oregon. yeah, Oregon was. Huh? Washington was in 2016. Um, yeah, that was a good showing. They, it was like twenty-four to seven. That wasn't that bad of a game. Um, no, I mean, but that would that would be, I don't know. Like, it's not going to happen. I don't think anybody in the southeast is like really pining for like the west coast to like <laughs> do well at football. But um, anyway, all that aside, 
Let's stop talking about spring camp. Like you're welcome, Pod Mods, because it's the only reason we spent this long talking about nothing in spring camp. Can't wait to do it again next week. All right, so let's talk about some of the guys that are transitioning out of the SEC into the pros. Pro days all around the country over the last few weeks. Um, who stands out to you, Chris? First off, this is like my favorite time of year because it's the underwear Olympics. And this time, instead of instead of having the combine, they just had like individual pro days. Bama had two for some reason, which is obnoxious. Um, hey, but did Najee Harris not... drive cross country for both because he's a good teammate? I mean, what an incredible teammate. I just, you know what? We could do a segment on that. I don't want, yeah, we can't do, do the clock thing again. That was fucking terrible. Um, <laughs> no. So who stood out to me? I think that like, it's easy to say like, you know, Mac Jones, cause he might go up and like out the way to like number three in some of these mocks. Now we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but some of the guys that we we've known as fans, like watching this conference that were good, but just never got like, you know, like the, the love from like the national media, Elijah Moore, went the fuck off at his pro day. And it was awesome to see. Like he's not a big guy, but he ran a four three four or four three two. That's stupid. Yeah. And, and like I'm trying to think of like I, I don't have all of the numbers in front of me, but he had an incredible, incredible day. Like Eric Stokes from Georgia ran a four two nine. I will say we told the story a couple weeks ago about this running the 60 at, at Scout Day and we moved it into 57. Is every fucking school doing that now? Because it's like these times that they're reporting are ridiculous. Everybody's running a four three seven. It's the fastest people on earth, all in one draft. All in one draft. Um, yeah, Eli crazy, Moore though. But it's, but it's crazy ahead. the SEC receivers that are that are going to dominate this draft. I mean, you you start at the top, Jamar Chase. If you want to include um, Pitts as a, a wide receiver, even though he's a tight end, Devontae Smith, Waddle, Elijah Moore gets in the mix. Kadarius Tony. Um, I think there's only two guys, Rondell Moore and Rashad Bateman, outside the SEC that are in the top 10 of receivers. It's just a crazy year for SEC receivers. Elijah Moore. Crazy couple of years. You got to think about last year, yeah. too, with Bama having two first-rounders, LSU having Justin Jefferson. Like, yeah. that 2019 game, you're talking about potentially seven first-rounders just at receiver. Because if Bama yeah, gets two, and then Jamar Chase, like, he looked incredible at his pro day, which I – not this is not being sarcastic, but he fucking – better have looked great at his pro day because he took an entire year off the train for it um but ran you know a sub 4 4 40 had a 41 inch vert like and then you talk about Terrace marshall who is like a sleeper in a lot of like a lot of scouts minds i don't think he's gonna be a sleeper anymore like, i think him and eli Moore are gonna get into the first round yeah well you know i feel i feel like guys like eli Moore and Kadarius tony can write tyreek hill a, a nice little thank you note maybe send him a gift basket because five nine receivers I can't remember them ever being popular until Tyreek Hill kind of blew up the NFL. The 20s. Um, yeah, right. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, e Eli Moore, like you said, and Kadarius Tony. I mean, these guys are going to find and, – and Rondell Moore. You know, you could throw him in from the Big Ten, but, you know, Purdue, let's get real. Um, Kadarius Tony is also 5'11". Well, that's still pretty small. And, you know, when you talk about guys that are like, you know, Julio Jones, 6'3", 6'4", that are absolute monsters, I mean, 5'11 is okay, I guess. Okay. Um, um, no, hey, if you're sub six foot, don't talk to me. All right. <laughs> we are a six foot and over only podcast. <laughs> yeah. I want to be very clear about that. If yeah, you cannot ride clear. the rise at, at, at uh, Six Flags, we do not want to have you on the podcast. Um, no, I, I think it it really is incredible to, to talk about because, like, just a couple of years ago, the whole stigma about the SEC was there's no quarterbacks, um, running back league, 
Yeah, and like, and I don't think people thought there weren't good receivers because there's been incredible receivers like OBJ and you said Julio and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, there hasn't been like a, a elite quarterback to go along with those guys. Um, and really, even at the same time, like you look at Cam's year, he didn't have like you know elite receiver and like that getting drafted super high. Um, Manziel had Mike Evans, but I mean, outside of that, like it's it seems like it's almost been like compartmentalized with the talent like around the league. It's it's pretty crazy to look at. I think there was 13 former SEC players projected in the first round in Todd McShay's latest draft. Um, and I I think that like it's hard to argue any of those guys. And I tell you what, my favorite my favorite guy that's like just finally making himself some money and getting like the credit he deserves, Jamin Davis from from Kentucky, weighs in at like six two two thirty four or something like that, middle linebacker. Said he ran a four three seven. It was a four four seven. But then also had a forty two inch vert. Like every, I think he did uh, twenty four reps, like on bench. Like everything he did, he showed out. And he's you know kind of like backdoored his way into like like late in the first round on a couple of mocks as well. That's awesome. Um, a couple of the the guys outside of the SEC, um, and we'll go, we'll, <sighs> we'll jump around here. But did the, the O lineman from Northwestern, this what Rashawn the Slater guy? <laughs> Jesus. He ran a four eight eight at three hundred and four pounds, and he his tape. I I saw on Twitter someone put his tape up against uh, Chase Young. You know, back when obviously when Chase Young was at Ohio yeah. State, and he did he did fine against him. I mean, I think he could potentially push himself over Sewell from Oregon as the top O line. Why is he falling? Like he he was like a can't miss, maybe number one overall pick last year. I mean, obviously it's going to be like Lawrence, but I mean. I read it, it's because his arms are short, and when you're an O tackle, you can't have short arms. And I'm not kidding, like a T Rex. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> trying to put it. Yeah. So, um, but I don't know. Oh my god, are you watching this Angels game, Otani? No, I'm focusing on the podcast. Uh, Otani's um, pitching. He's also hitting second. He just hit a bomb. It's ridiculous. In high school all the time, dude. Who cares? Um, <laughs> no, I, I tell you what, another storyline is kind of cool to follow. And and real quick, I want to give everyone like their due. We don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but like, yeah. It, like just hitting on all the schools. Uh, hold on. Aziz Ojolari, incredible pro day, ran like a four, six, two talked about Eric Stokes already. The trio of guys at USC, that, that was incredible. Um, Israel Mukuamu. I always say it wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he ran in like in the four fours and then JC Horn running a four, three, I believe four, three, seven um, as well. Like he, he solidified himself as, probably the number two corner in the draft behind Patrick Sertain, who had also an incredible signing day and it was shirtless. It's just, I mean, ridiculous. <laughs> How about Micah Parsons running a four, three, five? What the fuck was that? <laughs> okay, there, There's something wrong this year. I, I don't believe anything I see when, when it comes to these forties. Yeah. I mean, Micah Parsons, a four, three, five. That's ridiculous. Well, you brought up, like the Slater thing. And then Christian Barmore, who like, he is built like, like a mover. Like he is built <laughs> like a professional mover. Like where he's like he's got a gut, but it's like not fat. It's like a respectable, like solid gut, like people from like like Jersey have, like like your uncle Vinny or whatever. Um, it's just a lot of lasagna in there. He showed up at six four three ten and ran a four nine three, and then ran another one at four nine five. First off, if I was three hundred and ten pounds and I ran a four nine three, there wouldn't be a second time. It, it, that would be it. Yep. Anyway, I'm tired. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, all right. So we do want to uh, talk about this a little bit. We were talking about the the mock drafts. And at some point last week, everyone lost their minds because 
there was a trade a couple weeks ago with San Francisco and Miami where I don't understand what San Francisco is doing. Um, they clearly have found someone that they want to get at QB. So they traded away like four first-round picks <laughs> to go up and get what's probably going to be the third quarterback in this draft. Anyway, so San Francisco, Kyle Shanahan was at Bama's Pro Day, and it was on the same day as, as Ohio State's, and people made a big deal out of that because Justin Fields, obviously, would is an incredible quarterback, an incredible talent, and, you know, on paper, or physically, not on paper, but, like, physically more impressive than Mac Jones. Um, and the fact that Mac Jones is now being projected as the number three overall pick is what? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, solely because it's San Fran, and I think Shanahan could pretty much do. I mean, he turned. I'm not a Matt Ryan hater by any means. As a Falcons fan, I've appreciated his time, but I mean, let's be honest, he's not like typically MVP caliber. So the fact that Shanahan turned him into an MVP QB, I'm going to trust whoever he likes. So if he likes Mac Jones, then that's worthy of the third pick, I guess. But to me, it's like, man, if you're looking for upside especially when you're putting that much draft capital into it, like trading up for Mac Jones, I feel like you probably could have got him at 12. So Shanahan, if that's true, you have to think that he absolutely loved either Mac Jones or, or Wilson. If he were to somehow get past the jets, I don't Otherwise I don't understand how I don't understand why you trade up. Well, it's funny too, because like the excuses, like it's, it's like a moving target with, with like how people justify who should be where. And Zach Wilson, the throw, I don't think we talked about it because, because we do a show the throw he made where he was like rolling to his left and then like fading backwards off his back foot. It just throws this like 60 yard fucking dime. Yep. It's one of the most impressive throws I've ever seen. But to be fair, like his numbers the year before when he played a lot more power five teams and were not great. And you could say he progressed and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think he's a great quarterback. Like I, yeah. I, he's incredibly accurate. He's really accurate, like 20, 30, 40 yards downfield. That's like, what's most impressive to me about him. He does look like a Disney character movie. Like, like come to yeah, life. He does. Yeah, um, Kendall. But yeah, but at the same time, like I'm totally fine with him going at two and, and like not really like just kind of throwing out like this year, like the, the competition he played. But the the knock that Mac Jones gets all the time is like, well, he's he's not mobile. He ran a four seven five. I understand that Fields ran a four four two, but a four seven five is a lot better than I think anyone thought he was going to run. Right. The other side of that is it, he always throws every every throw he had. Like his receivers are wide open. One, that's not true. <laughs> Two, the numbers he put up last year, and you you could say whatever you want about the COVID year or, and the competition. He played a full ten game schedule in the SEC. And all he did was set the all-time NCAA record for passer rating, I think yards per attempt, and uh, uh, and completion percentage. The year that Joe Burrow had literally the year before that we marveled at. It was just the accuracy, like, you know, the passer rating, the QBR, all of that. Mac Jones was better this year, just not in touchdowns, and he had less games. Mm-hmm. 41 touchdowns, four interceptions. And, and I hate that whole like cliche bullshit about how like, well, he's always thrown to an open receiver. If you think that like he had a huge advantage and yes, he had so much talent around him for sure with Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle's out for half a year. Ohio state is playing in the fucking big 10. Yeah. And and they have five star receivers everywhere going up against some white kid, probably named Slade. Who's like, you know, (laughs) a a gritty defensive back running a four, seven. Like, what are we talking about here? So I just, you know, I think, 
I'll, I'll be honest. If it was me, I would take Justin Fields over Mac Jones. If, if like, if he was at the Falcons like, at four, mm-hmm. I would be fine with that. But like the, the over the top, like, like knocking like on, on Mac Jones is like a talent is kind of weird because we've seen him go up against the best competition and put up the best results and, and have that incredible season. And then you go up to Ohio state and it's, it's like even worse competition. He, they played head to head and he lost. I just, this whole like against all odds underdog story that like media and, and people are trying to turn into Justin Fields is a fucking joke. It's like, if he falls to 15, who fucking cares? Like, yeah, but, right. but it's not like, you know, like some against all odds story. He was a, the number one overall quarterback in the country. I think the highest rated ever. He was a five-star. He played at Ohio state talent everywhere. So what, what the fuck are we talking about? Yeah, it'll be, I mean, and I, that's, that's where I think what surprised me the most with Mac Jones was that 40 time. I just said that I, I'm not paying attention to 40 times, but maybe I'll pay attention to this one. Um, to me in today's game, you have to have a mobile quarterback. Um, that's mobile enough when you're completing 70% of your passes. Yeah. Um, so I, I can't, I'm not going to say that if, if the Niners traded up and took Mac Jones, that it's a crazy pick. I, I, I can't sit here and say that today. Um, we'll see. And, and, you know, we'll see the, the whole draft changes at four in my opinion, yeah. because I don't know what the Falcons up. I don't know what they're going to do. They're going to um, take Patrick Sertain or something stupid. Oh, they're they're going to take like well. Micah Parsons. I, I've heard Kyle Pitts, which if he – Kyle Pitts is an absolute game changer, so I wouldn't necessarily be disappointed in that, but this isn't a Falcons podcast, so we can stop talking about yeah, it. Yeah, well, we also didn't even touch on Florida <laughs> real quick. Um, Kadarius Tony, Trayvon Grimes even, and and Kyle Pitts put on a fucking show. Um, the big news, though, coming out of, of Gainesville is that Kadarius Tony said he could throw a football 80 to 90 yards. Bro – what <laughs> like i yeah. don't i don't believe that nope. but at the same time like you could have been playing over felipe franks you could have thrown the ball to your fucking self <laughs> anyway um so it should be an interesting what what the draft's only like three and a half four weeks away yeah end of the month so um if you had to guess today is mac jones going at three yeah all because shanahan wasn't at ohio state's pro no i think that like like I think the Matt Ryan comp is is the big thing, and you know, I don't know what like NFL scouts or coaches or they're all smarter than me. I don't think him being at a one a certain place is like the overall deciding factor, but I think it says something. Um, anyway, moving on. Yes, we have another new segment. We have a new segment. This is I'm gonna let you run with this. Maybe I'll lead, but but this is a this is a little segment that you came up with yourself tiktok tick tiktok it's yep, it's called clock. it's called drunk history with uncle chris I, so we we were doing these like matchup breakdowns for like uh from march madness basically like it was all a joke we were just like previewing the games and it would just be like a you know a little blurb about like the history and traditions of each school and then like who their famous like alumni were and it got to be like a lot of fun. Like I was up to like two thirty in the morning. The UCLA alumni list was fucking insane. Yeah. It was like it was ridiculous. Um, and they beat us the next day. But uh, I started thinking like off season content. Obviously, there's no football right now. We could just you know do ourselves a favor, get a little learned in here, get a little educated, and and go over some historical things from around college football and learn some stuff together. But 
in a fun way. So drunk history. So I want to start with my favorite because it makes a lot of sense. It's the well, UAB and Memphis game. Hold on. So we, we didn't sell them the topic yet. The first okay, topic we're going right, to go into um, is because we're going to, we're going to do this every week and talk about like traditions, games, blah, blah, all that kind of stuff. Rivalries. Um, the first one we're going to do is, is trophy games around college football. So yeah, take it away. This one's incredible. So the UAB and Memphis, they play for the bones. Chris, can you tell the listeners what the bones is? So <laughs> UAB <laughs> and Memphis, I don't know if they're rivals or anything like that. I, I know that like they usually are neck and neck in terms of crime in the South. So that's something. Um, but they play for a, a, a trophy called the bones. I'm not saying that all trophies are stupid. I'm saying that everyone that we're going to tell you about today is fucking stupid because it, like I don't know who came up with this, but it's literally a hundred pound bronze slab of ribs. <laughs> that's too heavy. That's that's too oh. heavy. Like you see no, like the boot no, that not. LSU and Arkansas play for. It, yes. it, it's like the leg lamp on from Christmas story, like on steroids. And every time they pick it up, it's like topsy turvy. Like that thing's going to fucking break in like two seconds. A <laughs> hundred pound ribs. I personally love it. Um, <laughs> All right, so this one is called the Illibuck, if I have that right. Interesting backstory. Uh, Ohio State versus Illinois, which is one of my favorite rivalries. Oh, yeah. The country. There's nothing like a, a cool October day, just 11 a.m., get your first beer in before you go into Champaign, Illinois, whatever stadium they play in, and watching Ohio State put up 60 points in the first half against Illinois. I love this rivalry. So this – is interesting these days the winner which i didn't know this illibuck it's it's an interesting backstory so these days the winner takes home a carved wooden version of of this trophy but in 1925 chris a live turtle served as the trophy a real live turtle <laughs> it's like when you you're like in in elementary school and you can like bring home the pet on the weekend right <laughs> mom i forgot to tell you we got Illabuck. bubbles this weekend. Illabucks in the backseat. Illabucks in the backseat. <laughs> um, no, so, like, what's funny to me, too, is I guess because there, no, there was no internet or cable or, like, you know, OnlyFans to, to keep you. Yeah, there was, like, no entertainment. It was like, <laughs> you want to go down the street, watch this boy, do some dancing on this jazz music? No, I don't. <laughs> Let's churn some butter. It, it's, like, I can't imagine living in the 20s. And there's no air conditioning. Anyway, but, like, there is so much effort put into this, and it's, like, it's it's so... It's almost heartwarming, but it's also pathetic. So they they named this, they they use the turtle as the trophy because they the turtles have like a long lifespan. Yeah, they live like hundreds of years sometimes. And they they wanted to, I don't even know if that's true. If you could tell me that, I, I, I would believe it. But um, they wanted to symbolize the long life of this rivalry. I don't know who came up with this, but I hope he did not live much past 1925 because there was not a long life of this rivalry. Go. What's the next one? My favorite part about it is that the, the, the turtle died only two years into it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, That is the best part. The turtle like that was chosen for like they could have chosen anything and it, they chose a turtle and he died two years later. He got it. I mean, it was it was a hero. So that's why they got the time. wooden turtle now. Yeah. Um, smarter. Let's go. Let's uh, let's skip around here because this one's just unbelievable. The milk can. Which just symbolizes the perfect trophy for a Boise State game. Boise State and Fresno State, two teams that 
I can't confirm this right now because I'm stupid, but I don't think are anywhere near each other. Um, they play for a milk can, which I, I'll just say it right now, guys. I I used to drink a lot of milk when I was a kid. I don't as an adult because that's fucking creepy. But I've never seen milk come in a can. Uh, that's our first problem here. Um, it's it's based off of two dairymen from Idaho and California made the pitch to use a milk can as a trophy, seeing the states are two of the leading dairy producers in the country. And when I say that to you, that sounds stupid as shit. And we just talked about the Illibuck. So if I told you that sentence and that background, what year would you think that would have happened in? I would have to think like it was probably a time when like the milkman was an actual thing where they would deliver milk. So maybe the 40s, 50s. 2005, Tyler. <laughs> 2005. We had flip phones. We had Von Dutch. We had so, so much technology. And people in fucking Idaho were drinking milk from a can. I just... Also, California has to be known for a lot more things than dairy. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea that, that California was a leading producer of dairy. You, I would never have said that. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. I... Oh, anyway, um, I didn't I didn't put as many in here as I should have. I, I mentioned this earlier, the Golden Boot. This That's an awesome trophy, and I love that rivalry. But whoever made that that trophy is an asshole because it, it is a four foot, 24 karat gold, four feet of 24 karat gold, weighing 175 pounds. I'm gonna tell you right now, Chris. Uh, I couldn't lift that up if I were to win. If we were, if I was playing for LSU and we won the Golden Boot, who who on the team's lifting that up? An O lineman? Uh, yeah, I mean, somebody it has to be somebody that didn't play. Like, imagine going like they used to play like double, triple overtimes, like that that game they had in 2007 against Aaron McFadden. Imagine having like a triple overtime game, and then going to like like celebrate by lifting up a 175 pound gold tooth. I, I just don't get it. I mean, like, well, it's 24 karat gold. Like, also, they threw this in there, and I don't understand the price of gold or most financial responsibility, but it says, this is a direct quote, weighing in at 175 pounds at an expense of $10,000. I feel like it should be worth a lot more than that. Yeah, 175 pounds worth of 24 karat gold? Only yeah. 10 grand? That's a lot of math. It, but... I, I, yeah, it's, I don't do gold math like that. Yeah. Um, why don't you take Purdue, Indiana? <laughs> oh, my, one of my favorite rivalries of all time, the old Oaken bucket, Indiana and Purdue alumnus came together in 1925. So again, we're in the roaring twenties here. Decided that an old Oaken bucket was the quote, most typical Hoosier form of trophy end quote, and should be taken from an Indiana well. Now, the cool thing about this, Chris, I know you're probably thinking it can't get much cooler than that. But <laughs> it's what, nothing? The winner each year adds a bronze P or L linked to the chain attached. The inaugural Oaken Why Bucket would, game in 1925. It, it might be L. Maybe it's supposed to be yeah, I. Yeah, I'm thinking it's an I. <laughs> it's a typo in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was like, the L? I don't know what that stands for. But it's so exciting, in fact, that the inaugural Oaken Bucket game in 1925... You guessed it, Chris, ended in a 0 0 tie. <laughs> Nobody gets the bucket this year, man. The first, the first year. 
I, and you know, it's crazy to me. Like and there's so many big 10, like, like the little Brown jug and all that kind of shit. Like they, I mean, they really dug in like just white knuckle, like yep. wanted to believe in this. Like, you know what? This is a thing now. This is our thing. And they kept doing, Oh, Oh, uh, well, in India, what is happening right now? And you know, I just realized too, what I should have done is just made up like three or four. Cause these, these are so ridiculous that we probably could have just had fun and like made up a couple and be like, you know, every year when TCU and, and Washington state get together, they play for a small village in, in, in Hong Kong. Winner gets that <laughs> whole paddy field. Um, Let's bring it back to the sec for the last two. This is the dumbest fucking thing in the world. This, this is like, I, I didn't even know these games had like significant trophies or things that you could win. Okay. So let's start with the, the outdoor, I guess you're not, we're not, Hey, we won't call it that anymore. RIP the, 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 the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Not allowed to call it that anymore. So we'll just call it the Georgia, Florida game. I didn't know there was a trophy. I guess it's new. <laughs> they probably should have publicized it more. <laughs> because... Yeah. <laughs> it was like a, I think they took out like a page six ad in like the savvy shopper, like paper magazines you get, like when you go to Dollar Tree. <laughs> Um, the Oki Finoki ore, the newest of trophies, is a 10-foot-long ore carved from the remains of a thousand-year-old cypress tree from the Oki Finoki swamp that serves as a border for the two states. It's gone to the winning team's student body president since 2009. I don't even want to think about what that guy does with that or, or girl. Yeah. What is keep it in their Look, dorm room? If you're talking about like first off the prize for that rivalry should literally just be you get a free punch in the face of each one of those douchebags from Florida Georgia line <laughs> just like i mean when they least expect it like as soon as, soon as they wake up and, and put on their hollister jeans and spray axe body spray all over themselves and then like turn the corner bam like winner winner gets like just a shot right in the face Kyle Trask eat your heart out the um, only thing that's cool about that is the word okifinoki cuz i've always loved it since i was a young buck how high up in terms of like, I don't know, like like references for each state is Okie Finoki. Like I, that's like not what I think about when I think of the state. This is this is like the epitome of trying to do too much. Yeah, you created a ten foot long ore. I mean, was the game not good enough that we had to create an ore that people took home after the game? I love that they they said it was a thousand year old cypress tree. Yeah, I'm sure first off, I want to yeah. fact check that because it was in a fucking swamp. I don't know how you know that. And then second off, if it was a thousand years old, why are you just now bringing this this to light in 2009 when they started giving out this trophy? Anyway, um, there are a lot of these that are that are fantastic. There's a lot of Big Ten ones. The last one we will get to, um, and I bet a lot of you didn't know this, but every year they talk about how the Iron Bowl is the fiercest rivalry in all of college football, and and I can confirm it is very intense. You know what's not intense, Tyler, is what actually is on the line that day. And it's not just an SEC West title. Uh, it is the FOI ODK Sportsmanship Trophy that they've been giving mm. out since 1948. And, and I'm not just saying this, like, to appease fans and, like, dog bam. This is the dumbest fucking trophy in college football. First off, it has sportsmanship in the name, in that rivalry. I'm already done with it. It. it for so 1948 was the first year they re uh restarted the rivalry because they had to take a break because there were so many like stabbings fights like like i think a couple of murders thrown in 
after these games in like the 1910s and shit like that. Like for real. So they got back in like 1948 to like renew it. And they're like, all right, we're going to, we're going to have a sportsmanship trophy. What? I hate sportsmanship. It's the worst. So <laughs> the winner, the winner of this, um, it, it goes to, I think the student body president has to like hand it over to the other student body president. And they do it at the home basketball game of whatever team won the following year. So this gets worse and worse. It's it's so bad. Um, so it says named for Dean James E. Foy. Wow, names. that's just incredible. <laughs> An incredible name. How do you have that many names and none of them are two syllables? <laughs> so um, it's like you're like calling people out. Dean yeah. James. <laughs> e. Hey, E. E. Um, so it says he served at both schools and their chapters of Omicron Delta Kappa. The trophy has been far overshadowed by the importance of the game itself. And also Harvey Updike. Um, let's see here. And that is really the only reason to rank it so highly. It's like on the, uh, their rankings, the significance of this game year in year out needs no further explanation back to the trophy. It's rendered irrelevant outside the state of Alabama by the fact that it isn't even presented following the game. Instead, it's presented to the winning team by the losing team when the two meet on the basketball court later. I'm so dis. There's a lot of things that disappoint me about Alabama. It, like being involved in that's got to be number one. Obesity and education rates, social progression, most of the politics. But this, having a trophy named after sportsmanship is the worst. I'm Absolute done for the worst. rest of the podcast. Take over. <laughs> Well, I think we're about done. We got a couple things left. I uh, wanted to quickly shout out that it's Masters Week here in Georgia. Obviously, that's big. If you're a big golf fan, doesn't get bigger than the Masters. Chris, what is your favorite tradition about the Masters, or do you have a favorite moment from the Masters? Well, I, I want, want to once again say that it makes absolutely no sense that with my upbringing and my haircut, I've never been to the Masters. I'm still upset about it, but me either. Me either. Um, favorite tradition Sunday at the Masters is awesome. Um, that's just like a perfect, perfect, perfect day. Uh, little Jim Nance nap, just seducing me to sleep. The music, oh man, yeah, that music um, incredible. I think so. My favorite Masters ever, the Tiger. The Tiger win in 2019 was I, like that I was like teared up for that one. That was yeah. awesome. His um, son afterwards, that was so cool. It's just I think that uh, there's like few times I feel like where like in sport, especially an individual sport, where everyone is on the same page. And somebody that like had so many issues like in the past and kind of you know was like polarizing for a little while because of like off the course behavior. Um, there wasn't a single person pulling against him besides Sergio Garcia because he's a piece of shit. Um, I that think was, everyone can agree on that. Yeah, that was awesome. The other one for me, though, is that, that 2005 Masters were, I think he was on 15. It's that par five where like there's like water and he hit that putt that was like, he was like facing the opposite way of the, the hole, goes up the hill and just starts yeah. trickling down. And Vern Lundquist is on the call and he's like, it's like, I forgot exactly what he said. He was like, looking good. It's looking or looking yeah. good. He's like, oh, and then like it just hangs on the edge for like, I swear. Was that, with like the, was that with the Nike? The, it was like the perfect Nikes. I mean, just the absolute perfect ad for them. Oh, yeah. The Nike ball. I mean, it dangled up there for a minute and then boom. 
just Boom. drops. That that was awesome. What about you? Yeah, it sucks that he's not going to be playing in it and may not ever play again. Oh, R.I.P. He, he died. Like I don't that. know if you heard. Jesus he he passed Christ. away. What's wrong with you? <laughs> um. Uh. So it's I I had the Tiger 2019 as well, but one that's kind of a little bit uh, probably obscure. A couple of years ago, so they have the par three oh, tournament. God. Um. On the notes. I hate you for this. And usually it's like you have, you know, the golfers have like their someone in their family caddy for them. Jack Nicholas has 22 grandkids and all of them have done this with him over the years. Um, None of them had ever hit the green on this last on the whole number nine par three. None of them ever hit the green. 21 of them or I'm sorry, 20 of them hit it into the water. 21, um, or the, the the 21st, Nick O'Leary, who played at Florida State. 20 of the 22 in. went in the water? Yeah, yeah. What the fuck? Like, Nick O'Leary hit it make over Make an the adjustment, green. guys. Nick O'Leary hit it over the green. So his 15-year-old grandson aced the par three. That's ridiculous. Which Jack Nicholas didn't ace a hole at the Masters until he was 75 years old. He and hit a hole in one at 75? <laughs> and his 15 year old grandson knocked and it was the coolest thing because they they you know they interviewed jack nicholas and he was like how how high up is this in your you know your master's memories couldn't even get words out he was crying he just held up the number one he was like it was the number one moment of the masters wow. for him in his life so thought that was pretty cool anyone you're pulling for this week jt i mean if tigers out, yeah i'll pull for jt um i guess like i, I love dustin johnson and like I'm not condoning drug use at all, but him him getting in trouble for using cocaine and still being a good golfer is one of the most impressive athletic achievements I've ever heard of. Like you you have to be calm and like smooth and and not like in control of yourself. And he was doing bumps before playing rounds, and all of a sudden it's it's still winning majors. So hell, a couple of years ago he fell down the stairs before the Masters and couldn't play. Do you remember that? Yeah, do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> um so I, I like dustin johnson he's he's so damn good too um yeah that's that's probably it for me what about you i mean yeah same thing if i'm going school allegiance um brooks Kepka announced that he's coming back to play so would love to see him win um and then spieth man this guy he hadn't won a tournament in four years until today right um since 2013 he missed the cut four years in a row he had a T11, and then he finished in the 40s, and then last year he didn't play. So his game is peaking. It would be a great story to see him come back and win the win the Masters. Um, it's a course for him, so we'll see. Um, nightmare foursome. Sticking with golf. Who would you just hate? I actually was going to go with just actual golfers. I don't know about you. Oh, yeah, I was not. I was going to um, get personal. Patrick Reed seems terrible to play with. Bryson DeChambeau also seems terrible yeah. to play with. And then we'll go with Ian Poulter, the absolute enemy. <laughs> he is awful. <laughs> what about you? Um, well, I can't. I can't mention one person because, like, I'll get in trouble. So I'm not gonna. Okay. That's but that's just one spot, and just use your imaginations. Okay. But my dad for sure. That's. I mean, if you've heard the Shreveport story, that's why I'm not allowed back in that city because of golf gone wrong. Uh, and then, like, this is gonna sound way worse than it is, but like, literally any. Asian male or female that is over the age of 50. Because if you've ever played golf with somebody of that specific demographic, it is the most measured and perfect and like 
All they do is just pipe balls like 220, man or woman, just 220, middle of the fairway, just lay up when they need to, perfect approach shots. It is maddening how just consistent they are the entire time. And they always have the nicest cl uh, clubs too. So have you seen the Afri Barn, Afri, how do you say it? Afri Barn Rat guy from uh, uh, on the tour? He's this huge fat Asian guy and he, he vapes like massive clouds. <laughs> it's the best. Sick. He's like a huge party animal. I love him. So, yeah. um, okay. I wanted to hit the uncensored moment of the week. And then I know you have a shout out at the end of the yeah. pod that you want to give. So I will let you lead the uncensored moment of the week for us because this was your idea. So there was a couple we could have chose from the catch me outside girl. How about that? Got on OnlyFans the minute she turned 18 and made a million dollars in six hours. Uh, somebody posted this in the Facebook group. It was really funny. Colin Coward was trying to say two cities. This very <laughs> while talking to a a uh, a voluptuous. Uh, no, that, that sounds worse. But like she, it was a woman with big boobs, and he said two titties instead of two cities, and it was very <laughs> obvious like what the distraction was coming from. But the uncensored moment of the week. This is one of my favorite things I've seen, like, honestly, in sports recently. And if you guys have followed at all the NCAA Women's Basketball Tournament, like, I've I've been watching it. It's been great, honestly. Arizona has, has kind of made this, like, Cinderella run, even though they were a three seed. And they they beat UConn. They get all the way to the Final Four. Well, it's a Cinderella run because in women's basketball, if it's not a one seed, yeah. it's, like, the biggest shock of all time. It's always shock. It's, yep. it's So... They beat UConn to get to, and they, they were a huge underdog. And I know that because I bet on them before the game, against them before the game and at halftime. Um, and they, I think they beat UConn by like 10 or something like that. So they get to the final four. They feel like they're kind of disrespected, overlooked. And it's it's them, South Carolina, Stanford, and who's the other one? UConn? I think it was, maybe that was when they played UConn. UConn? Yeah, um, yeah I think that's right. And so... I literally you get to like the Thursday night dinner or whatever, like 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 you you know the welcome party, and the NCAA, as I always say, fucks up every time they get a chance to do anything. They always do it wrong. They made a video montage of all the teams, like for the love final a good four. montage though, love a good montage. Yeah, of course, but yeah, but a little Coldplay in the background, it's fantastic. Yeah, they didn't include anything from Arizona. There were only four teams to include, and they missed one. So Arizona was pretty upset about that, and with good reason. Yeah. Um, so they, they go play, they go play UConn, and they beat them like handily. And after the game, their head coach, who's now my favorite person, Adia Barnes or Adia Barnes, she was seen giving a post-game speech that was like double birds and very clear. She was like, fuck them about like every single person that doubted them. I mean, just absolutely wide open, like, and you know, it's like it's also like. We're in the middle of COVID, so these like stadiums are not like packed. Like oh, yeah. the sound travels. So she's just sitting there like motivating the team, double birds, F you to like anybody that doubted them. And people were very upset, very upset that this lady uh did not show sportsmanship and use vulgar language. Also, side note, during the national championship game today, she was late for the second half because she's a newborn and she was pumping at halftime. So her newborn child could have breast milk and then went back out and coached the second half of a fucking national championship game. This girl is a hero. This woman Love is a that. hero. Love that. So anyway, um, she like was basically under a lot of scrutiny because of what she said. The media was asking her about it afterwards. And her response <laughs> was even more epic than, than the, uh, than the double birds part, because she said flat out, uh, I'm not apologizing. I, I'm just myself. I don't think they're, I don't think it like their strategy to it. 
Um, there's no plan to be a certain way. I honestly had a moment with my team and I thought it was a more intimate huddle. And I said to my team something that I truly felt and I know they felt, and it just appeared on TV. I'm not apologizing for it because I don't feel like I need to apologize. It's what I felt at my team in the moment and I wouldn't take it back. So basically just a verbal double birds and fuck you guys again. It, she's awesome. Love that. Yeah. Love that. Well, hey, before we wrap up the show, well, I, I hate to make it serious, but I know you had a, a shout out. And so I wanted to give you the time to do that before we, we sign off here tonight. Yeah, man. So um, pretty tough weekend uh, on Friday. I, th- I think a lot of you probably heard at this point. Um, one of my good buddies and and uh, and Alabama super fan, basketball fan, Cameron Luke Ratliff, uh, known as like Fluff, um, passed away from COVID complications. Uh, he was 23 years old. And it was, um, like we were in a text thread with me, him, and a couple other guys and just didn't know that it was even like that big of a deal and everything escalated so quickly. And I, I was like getting caught up in the actual thread. And, and this is like the worst way to find out. I, I, I saw the like, like text from his mom saying like they needed prayers like 45 minutes after she sent it. And the next text I saw was that he had passed away and it was just very surreal, very sad. Um, and, you know, obviously love him. going to miss him a lot. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of a cool thing that's happened though, since then is, you know, I was telling Tom hard about it. Cause he, he knew him from like traveling and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's just cool how much of an impact like fans, especially the sec really have like on fan bases and there's like teams and all that kind of stuff. And um, if there's like a silver lining to it, like, you know, like when I told Tom, he said he was trying to verify it to make sure it wasn't like fake. Cause he was going to say something on air and he found out from Marty Smith. And then so it's like, you know, these, these big national guys. And, mm-hmm. and then obviously like the whole basketball team, they had a memorial at, at, uh, at the university the next day. And, you know, the, the athletic director showed up in his like patented um, like plaid jacket that he wore at every home game. And then the softball coach during their actual game came out in full uniform and then a plaid jacket over his as well. And it was really cool seeing the support. Um, but obviously it's just a really just devastating tragedy as well. So um Love you, man, if you're listening. And uh, we'll see you again soon. Yeah, man. RIP to Luke Ratliff, uh, a.k.a. Fluff. And um, that's going to be it for this week. So thanks for tuning in. Go follow us. We actually have a uh, social media platform on Twitter for the actual podcast. And what is that? What is that handle again, Chris? CFB I... underscore uncensored. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, please, again, go on iTunes. Thank you for all that have, um, you know, rated and reviewed us. It's been a, a super big help. Yeah. Appreciate you withstanding the basketball content as we get to football season. We'll get there soon, everyone. Yeah. We got spring games coming up. It's going to be a lot of fun. So yeah. we'll talk to y'all next week um, if, as long as Tyler's tooth doesn't hurt. And uh, we'll see you then. All right. See you guys.